Thank you so much, Terry. Well, I'd invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 19 this morning, and we're going to read a few verses in the Bible about the Bible as a part of our study today, which is just simply titled Your Bible Study. Two weeks ago, we started talking about how important it is that our own Bibles are open in front of us, and, uh, and so we want to lead out here today, starting in Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how there's a lot of gold in the Bible to mine. There's a lot of wisdom for life. There's a lot to get to know about God, about his plan for you. Uh, all of that is here. But when your Bible is closed, what did we learn? God's mouth is closed. When your Bible is open, for you, God's mouth is open. We know God can speak to us in other ways through prayer or circumstances, but primarily, um, God's word to you is found right here. And so if you want direction in your life, if you want to get to know God in a personal way, you have to have your Bible open in your life uh, so that you can learn from him. All right, so a little bit of review. The last couple of weeks, um, the first week that we started this study, we simply challenged one another to open our Bible, to read it, to say on a regular basis, maybe even on a daily basis, the Bible be open in front of us so that we can hear from God, so that we can learn what he has to say and how it applies to us. Last week we talked about Bible meditation and how reading it is important, but when you meditate, it's you're repeating it over and over again. You're, you're chewing on it, you're thinking it through, you're churning it around in your mind uh, so that you can really you know, kind of pull all the nourishment that there is out of what the text says and how important that is. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a student of the Bible. Uh, which I'm really excited about. I think that being a student of the Bible is exciting to recognize that this book uh, has so much to teach us, that Jesus has so much to teach us as we read how he lived and how he, what his attitudes were and what his perspective on life was. Um, but there again, we only gain that as the Bible is open in front of us. So to be a great student, you have to learn how to ask questions. And that's what our theme today is going to be. How do we ask questions of the Bible so that when we're done, when we do close our Bible and we walk out into our daily life, whatever that looks like, that we really have a sense of what God has said to us and what we need to do next. Um, so to be a great student, you need two qualities in your heart. One is curiosity. The other one is humility. You have to be curious and you have to be humble or you'll never really learn. So we'd say there's two categories of questions that are important for Bible students to, to ask. One are exploratory questions, and that's where you open up the Bible and you just say, okay, what does this really mean? Like, how do I interpret what I'm reading? The other would be application questions, where you say, what does this mean to me? Uh, how should I, what should I do with the information I'm learning? And uh, so I want to give you a couple examples uh, as we lead out here of what some of the exploratory questions might sound like and what some of the application questions might sound like. So here's some exploring questions uh, that if you, were, if you were open to any part of the Bible, any verse, any section, any chapter, any book, you could ask questions like, well, who wrote this? 
or when did, or why did they write it? Or when and where was this written? Like kind of what was the historic context it was spoken into? What type of communication is this? So is it poetry or is it a parable or is it history or some sort of narrative? That's all important to know as we say, I want to be a student of the Bible and learn everything I can. Uh, to whom was it addressed? It's a really important question to ask. And then what else does the Bible say? That is, if you're reading about a theme, like say forgiveness or something in one chapter of the Bible, a great student question is, all right, I see what it says here. Where else in the Bible does it speak about forgiveness and what could I learn? How could I compare those? And so really, this is where curiosity, I mean, if you're a curious person by nature, this is a lot of fun because you get to open up the Bible and say, there are things that are probably not readily apparent on my first read through that if I stop and pause and ask some exploratory questions, um, that's where I can start learning and getting a much deeper understanding. So that's one layer. Here's the other layer. It's the application questions. And this is where I think we, we find our insight for living, as Psalm 19 mentioned, where we actually understand how this word applies to us. And it's when we ask questions like this, are there, is there a sin to confess? So maybe you're reading a story in the Bible and you say, wow, you know, the people of Israel conquered some ancient you know, people group or whatever, and how, how does this apply to me? So you could ask these questions. Well, is there a sin to confess that's illustrated by the story? Is there a promise to claim or an attitude to adjust or a command to obey or an example to follow? So you're just kind of walking through asking God to give you some illumination to help you understand how this might apply or what, what little morsel of truth you could lift out of the pages of the Bible written so many centuries ago and apply to your life here in this century. Is there a prayer to pray or an error to avoid or truth to believe or something to celebrate? Now, since I was, I don't know, maybe 20 or so, I've used this little application format when I think about the scripture, when I'm meditating on the Bible, when I'm trying to learn something out of it. I ask these questions and say, Dan, that's a lot of questions to remember. Like, where does that, how do you remember, remember all that when you actually have your Bible open? Well, there's a little secret to this, and, uh, and it, looks, it looks like this. Anybody know what those are? They are space pets, that's right. Those were, these were some of the first living beings to go out into space. Uh, the, the Lakita, the dog there, was, you know, was the Russian dog. And then you know, the NASA and the Russians sent up a whole bunch of animals just to find out like, what would happen in space. You say, Dan, how does that have anything to do with, with like, learning the Bible? Well, here's why. All right, look at this. Space pets is the acrostic for all those questions. So I know that's like, kind of silly, but... For me, it actually really helps me remember. Like when I'm looking at the Bible going, all right, what do I need to learn here? I'll just think in my mind, all right, space pets. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to adjust? And just walk through it. So it's kind of an easy way to call all that to memory and then just to have a little, uh, just sort of a way forward so that when you're reading the Bible, even if you don't have a bunch of books open in front of you, you can walk away saying, all right, I've, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what this text is teaching me uh, and how I'm supposed to learn. All right, so here's our plan for today. Uh, we're going to spend the first little segment of our service exploring a part of the Bible, in part to illustrate how to do it, but also because it's fascinating to explore the Bible. There's so much to learn. Uh, a lot of blanks are filled in when we explore. Uh, then we're going to take some time to worship and reflect on that, and then we're going to come back and ask some more application questions about the Bible and think about how we, as we approach God's Word, then walk away from it with something to do something in mind that we say, here's how this is going to impact my day uh, or my week or whatever. And uh, so for the first segment of our service, I want to call my friend Ryan up. And uh, Ryan is our resident professor this morning, as you can see. 
Well done, Ryan. Um, complete with the pocket watch, which I like. Have a seat. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to call what we're doing here the academy. All right. So some of you who hate school, sorry, this is going to be like school. Um, but I know most of you probably love school and you love learning, and so that's what we're here to do. Right, Ryan? Absolutely. All right. So when we think about exploring the Bible, one reason that I thought you would be great to talk to about this is that you actually have a degree in Jewish studies. And so you've spent a lot of time studying the Bible, and a lot of time in particular studying the context into which the Bible was written. Um, so um, I thought it would be fun to zero in on the four Gospels, because if, I mean, obviously every word of the Bible is important to us, but the four Gospels, it's like that's the heart and soul of everything we believe, because it's, it's the story of Jesus, it's his teaching, it's the Gospel. And, uh, and so in the Scripture, we actually have four stories of Jesus, right in a row, written from slightly different perspectives that, that don't, you know, that they don't naturally, they don't quite sound the same. Each of them has its own uniquenesses. And I think it's really interesting to, to kind of dig into that and say, why do we have, first of all, why do we have four stories about Jesus? And who wrote those stories? And kind of, you know, why is it all there in the way that, what's the, what was the reason that God gave it to us this way? And uh, so I'd like to kind of pick your brain about that here at the BCBC Academy. All right. That's okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so why don't you uh, walk us through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they're obviously, they're named by the person who wrote them. Uh, tell us about those characters, uh, who those people were. Okay. Well, before I, before I jump in too far, one of the first things I want to I share with you guys is um, this whole concept of being a student of the Word. It's not, um, it's not like a one-time thing. It's not like, you know, okay, I'm going to pick it up for, you know, the month of March, and then I'll study it, and then I'll be good after that. Like, this is a, a lifelong thing to study the Word of God. Um, I remember uh, all the way back in high school how um, I was reading, actually, back in junior high is when it really started. My family was reading through the Bible in a year, and we came across Psalm 119, which we've been reading a lot of at, at the end of um, our times on Sunday mornings. And the passage, I think it was last week, where, you, where it's talk about it talked about how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. David was one of my, my all-time favorite heroes in scripture because it wasn't just paper, parchment, ink. This was his life. And I wanted to be that kind of a person where the word of God was my life. And, it would, and as a young man at the time, I wanted to keep my, my way pure, but I wanted to fall in love with God's word just as much as David did. So that really spurred me and being a student of the word to where we could take something that most people will open up and say, well, this is kind of dry and boring and turn it into something that was alive and vivid and something that you wanted to dive into more and more. And really like, opening up your, the Word of God, spending time with Jesus, like that's what's really going to do that. It's going to cause you to, to feel like this isn't just dry and old and something that was ancient, but alive and vivid and something that does apply. So being a student of the Word helps it to apply. Um, so then I did go to college for Jewish studies because um, I just was reading Old Testament, saw that, hey, Jewish people here, look in the news. Oh, look, Jewish people there. Like, these are the same people, like, that was, that was kind of cool. And so wanted to, to dive in more and more into the Jewish culture to try to figure out how to share the gospel with Jewish people. But what I didn't expect when I was doing my Jewish studies major at, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago was that it helped me to understand the roots of my own faith. 
it wasn't just about sharing Jesus with the Jewish people. It was about understanding more of the context and the background behind some of what was going on. So the Gospels is really a really, a really relevant thing to study when it comes to um, Jewish studies. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing as well. And so, for instance, of the four Gospel writers, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of those, three of those four authors are Jewish. So their take on why they're writing about Jesus is going to be a little different than what Luke's is going to be. And just even knowing that fact, when you're reading the Gospels, you're like, okay, so when Luke's writing about it, he's got, he's got kind of a Gentile perspective to it, whereas the other authors are going to, you know, they're, they're Jewish trying to either write to Jewish people or try to engage that, that Gentile world. So I'm going to put that down so I can move my hands around a little more. Um, so just kind of walk through each of, of, of the authors, because I'm hoping by, by sharing some of this stuff, like the authors become people to you. That was one thing when I was reading the prophets, like, okay, it's a book written by a prophet, when I realized this prophet is a person wanting to write to me to try to understand something, it became more alive. So let's walk through the, the, the authors, just, and that'll kind of start that process of kind of diving deeper into the Gospels. Um, Matthew. Matthew is Jewish, yes, but there's something else about him. He was a tax collector, if you remember correctly. You know, as you're reading through, it says, you know, Jesus called him, and he was sitting at a tax collector's booth. That's tantamount to treason to the Jewish people. So you don't just have a Jewish person writing. You have a Jewish person who is tantamount a, a, uh, uh, a treasonous part of the Jewish culture, and then Jesus calls him, of all people, and then he completely dedicates his life back to the Jewish culture, the Jewish way of life. Because as, as you're reading through Matthew, understanding that he's a tax collector, he focuses the most on messianic prophecy. He is the greatest link between the Old Testament and Jesus. Because as you read through it, he's saying, you know, this happened in accordance with Scripture. This happened, which fulfilled Isaiah, which fulfilled the prophets, which fulfilled... He's constantly going back. And we're talking about the person who's least trained because he could care less about his own culture. He could care less about the Scriptures. Yet he's the one, when he writes the Gospel, who's most interested in making sure that the people understand that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Now, it's kind of like the, the four Gospels were written ultimately to persuade people to follow Jesus or to share the story of Jesus with people who didn't get to walk with him mm -hmm. physically. And so to, to recognize, so Matthew is speaking in particular to Jews. So for them, it's a lot more relevant to have all those messianic prophecy references. Mm -hmm. Whereas to like John, for example, even though he would have known all of those and he references some of them, the audience he was speaking to was a lot different and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have appreciated that to that level. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and, and some of the, again, some of the more background stuff. So the book of Matthew, according to one of the church fathers, they, one of the church fathers stated that the book of Matthew actually probably was first written in Hebrew because that was his audience. Now, there are no copies that do exist, so we just have to take the church father's word on that, unfortunately. But we, have, we do have the Greek, the Greek copies of it. But again, the concept is his, the original audience was he was reaching out to his own Jewish people, which kind of makes it, look, uh, uh, again, there's a lot of argumentation as to when the books were written, but the book of Matthew, it tends to be one of the first, uh, to be thought of as one of the first gospels that were written because of the, the he, being, being written in Hebrew first. Whereas John, John didn't write probably till after 70 AD. Now the significance of that is that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. 
which is the, the epicenter of Jewish culture. So whereas Matthew, right after Jesus is crucified, he ascends. A couple years afterwards, he's trying to make sure because the Jewish people are not accepting it as a whole. So he's trying to share, no, guys, this is in line with Scripture. John, on the other hand, is on the other side. He's probably the last one to write his account of, of Jesus. And so he's on the other side of the temple. He's on the other side of the death of Paul and of Peter. And so when he's writing, his is more of a global focus. He's trying to, to, he's trying to say, yes, we lost the temple, we lost Peter, we lost Paul, but we haven't lost Jesus. And as a matter of fact, as one of his closest disciples, let me reveal some stuff about, about him. He's not just the person of prophecy. Let me share, share with you his divinity. And so you'll get a lot of the divinity of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which is going to play to the Jewish the Jewish. Um, audience, but more globally, to Rome, to Greece. They're going to understand the concept of a son of God, because in Greek and, and Roman mythology, if, 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 if you think back to, to those stories, people like Hercules is a son of God and a son of man. That's not a foreign concept to them. That's not going to blow their mind like it would a Jewish, a Jewish audience. So John, he's going to talk about the son of God. He's going to talk about the divinity. We get a lot about the Trinity in John because that's more his focus when he's writing the gospel. He's like, I know Jesus personally. I was one of his best friends. Like he had the 12, but I'm one of his closest three. And even that, I was the one who laid my head on his breast. I know Jesus in and out, let me share something with you that's a little more unique than the other gospel presentations. So for you, if you're just picking up the Bible and reading one of the gospels, how does this background information change your read of, say, Matthew or John? Well, it changes based on, on each one of them because, I mean, our other, our other authors are Mark and Luke. So Mark is John Mark. He has a little history as well. He was with Paul on his first missionary journey. He, he kind of left halfway through. He's like, okay, this is too much for me, not what I signed up for. But later on, he does grow in his faith, and he actually, in the end, partners up with Peter. And so he gets a lot of, of uh, the perspective of Peter sharing over and over again his life with, with Jesus, which again, Peter's another one of the three closest disciples. So when he shares his gospel, it is very much infiltrated with Peter's thoughts. And Peter being the more emotional, you know, you know, hothead that he was, like he captures a lot of the emotion and the humanity of Jesus. And then whereas Luke, he's a doctor, he's a Greek physician, and he's also, it's kind of a mixture, you know, doctor, historian, they kind of went together back then. So he was very, very much concerned about the facts. So he went, he talked to all the eyewitnesses and as, he's, as you're reading his gospel, you're not just getting a perspective of one person, but a perspective of a conglomeration of people who were there and were alive and saw Jesus when he was on earth. And so his is the, more, the most detailed account. And you get more things in Luke about Jesus' life that you don't get with the other gospels because they're not just telling it from the, you know, because Matthew is from when he started with Jesus onward, maybe a little bit beforehand, but mainly when he was with Jesus. Peter, when he was with Jesus. John, when he was with Jesus, but Luke, he talked to Mary, he talked with Zechariah, or maybe, you know, uh, John the Baptist's mother. He talked with various other people, so you get more details than what you would have beforehand. So for me, when I'm reading it, when I'm reading Matthew, I'm looking at what's the Messianic prophecy, what's the connection with the Old Testament that, that makes Jesus the Jewish Messiah. When I read Mark, I'm looking at the humanity of Jesus, the emotions. He gets angry. The Son of God gets angry, but he's also full of compassion. When I read the book of Luke, I'm getting all these detailed stories, and not necessarily like a sequential 
event, but I'm getting more details than I would in any other Gospels. And when I read John, I'm understanding the heart and mind of God more clearly because John is revealing that in a way the other Gospels don't. So you could almost say Luke, Luke was functioning a little bit more like a journalist would in our day and age. Yeah. Um, John was more intending to persuade, to introduce Jesus to a world that had never heard of him or that didn't have a Jewish context necessarily. Yeah. Um, so some, a couple things I've heard that are interesting to me. One is um, in, in village cultures in, around the world, I've heard that uh, Mark is sometimes one of the first books that they translate. One, because it's shorter, mm-hmm. a little bit simpler concepts to, to, to start with, but also because there's a lot of emphasis on Jesus' power in Mark, his power mm-hmm. over demons, his power over yeah. sickness. Um, and so in a culture that is fear-driven or whatever, that's really helpful for them to understand. Like if you turn to Jesus, he's more powerful than these, these forces of nature you're fearing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas John tends to be uh, more to like kind of a Western mindset, probably where most, most of us would be coming from, saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in all the history of it, but can you prove kind of the postulates? Like, is Jesus actually who he said he was? Mm-hmm. And John really zeroes in and helps us understand that. Yeah. Um, for you, do you have a favorite gospel? Uh, do you have one that you turn to by default that you enjoy? Um, I probably would say uh, because of being a more intellectual person by nature, I do turn to, to John more just to kind of try to understand, like, uh, I don't know, this may sound a little too mystical, but the mysteries of God. I mean, uh, you know, it starts off, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And you're just like, <laughs> I mean, like, like just from the very beginning, he's, he starts off with that, 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 that voice of, of, okay, I'm going to take this to the next level. So I really, really enjoy that. But my second favorite probably would be Matthew, because I love how Scripture, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is consistent, and Matthew naturally draws that, okay, so we have the whole history of, of Old Testament, which is pointing to a coming Messiah, someone's coming, and Matthew says, you remember all those verses? Here he is. And then you just kind of you just keep flowing into the New Testament. Yeah, there's some brilliance in the fact that Matthew is the first one mentioned. Then, right, you know, so you close the Old Testament, open the New, and that's where you start. Yeah, um, it's 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 almost like in history, God's God's using the Holy Spirit on the authors and saying, okay, Matthew, I want you to start, and this is what I want you to do. And then, John, before you leave this earth, I want you to reveal what I revealed to you. And so it's like you've got this this continuation, even with the gospel writers from what, from when they wrote to something a little more basic to something a little more advanced as they're, as they're revealing about Jesus. Yeah, so some people ask, why, why is there four gospels included? Why not just have one story and there it is? Uh, particularly because they do sound a little different, and some of the details, like you're looking at it through a different person's glasses. So there's, you know, some of the the, the events are even reported with like slight differences. Um, for you, what's kind of your summary answer to like why why do we need four rather than just one? Hmm. That is a very difficult question. Um, I mean, practically speaking, we talked about the different audiences. So that that's my initial answer is that the different audiences are the reason why we have the, the four different ones, um, because what, what Matthew wrote specifically to the Jewish people, the Roman and Greek culture would have absolutely no context for what the Old Testament was, much less all the different prophecies. So 
um, the other gospel writers, so like Mark, for instance, like he's, he's dealing with the humanity, but he's also, like throughout his gospels, he's explaining, all right, so this is where this is. This is what this word means. I'm going to say it to you in Greek, not in Hebrew, because it'll make more sense to you. John does a little bit of that as well when he calls like the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. Like he's, he's, he's making it more relevant to, to the audience that, that they're reaching at. But I think on a more global scale, the reason for the four different gospels is so that you can read each each of them, and on one of the spectrum, fill in the blanks, because no one, I mean, John ends his gospel brilliantly. There's so much more I could write to you about Jesus, but even if the sky was a parchment I, and, the, and the sea were ink, we couldn't capture all that Jesus did on earth. It's impossible. But with what the gospel writers did capture, there, there's, there's a, a slight variation to fill in gaps, but there's such unity between the four Gospels, that it authenticates the fact that Jesus was a real person, he really did come to earth, he really is the Son of God, he really did die on the cross, and he really did rise from the, from the grave. Because that last part in particular, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, he's just another dead man who said he died for people. But because he rose from the grave, that is what makes Christianity our faith. Paul says if that didn't happen, we shouldn't believe it. Drop it. But all, the four Gospels all go through that story of him coming to earth, son of God, death, resurrection, and it authenticates it over time so that after their death, it... it yeah. yeah, and I've heard, I've heard people say it's kind of like in a, in a court, if you're making a case for something, um, sure, if one eyewitness comes forward and tells you the story, that's powerful, that's helpful, yeah. uh, but if four eyewitnesses come and tell you the same story, that's really powerful evidence that, that the actual event happened. Yeah. And, uh, and so... So, so one thing that's kind of going through my mind as you're sharing all this, which it really is interesting, and I realize there's a lot more we could go into, um, but you obviously came upon all this information, all this background context that, that then enriches your study of the Bible. So when you're exploring, you have like all this, all this neat stuff to work with. Yeah. Um, if somebody hasn't gone to Bible college or Jewish <laughs> studies, um, do you have anything to recommend to the rest of us as far as like, are there ways for us to fill in some of these blanks, resources you'd recommend that would help maybe lead people in this direction? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I'm gonna tell you is no matter what, what resource that I recommend, please understand that, that it's man-made, number one, and uh, number two, there's, there are those who faithfully believe that the word of God is true and then there are those who try to figure things out that don't believe that the word of God is true. So even if you go on to like Google websites and they'll, and they'll say, oh no, no, it's, it's this, and oh no, no, it's that, realize there is gonna be conflict in the information that, you, that, that you're reading. So being a student of the word is not just simply, oh, it, I went to the first Google website, this is what it said, I believe it. It's, it's sifting through the information, figuring out what makes sense. So you, you can do something as simple as, okay, look up, you know, Mark, who was Mark? When was he written? What was the context? Like you can, you can do that in a Google website. Wikipedia will tell you anything that, that you want to know. But other resources, so I brought my big hefty Bible here. Um, each translation, so like if, you, if you're an NIV person or NASB, um, you know, if you're New Living or King James, most of them have what, what's called a, a study Bible. And those study Bible have uh, little notes at the bottom, at the beginning of each chapter, it'll say, okay, here's the author, here's the context, here are the dates, here's the information. Grabbing one of those, you can just sit at home and as you're reading, before you read Matthew, let's le read a little bit about what, what's going on before. Who was Matthew? Let's make him a little more real. Um, you can do that even with the prophets. Who was Isaiah? 
you know? Isaiah was a prince. He was one of the line of David. It's like, oh, he's not just a prophet. He's also kind of in the royal line. Like, you can learn more about those types of things from a study Bible. Also, there are other just different resources that are out there specifically to help people to study. We'll throw a few of them up on the screen here. Guys, there you go. So here are just a few other resources that, that you, can, you can go with. So a Bible handbook, again, just touches on everything really briefly. But then there are other um, authors and titles. So if you want to you know, write those down real quick or take a quick picture that you can, you can research, and it'll, it'll help you to dive deeper into what's going on. Because, I mean, getting deep into the weeds that's good, but also you need to kind of get a, a, a bird's eye view. So again, you, you step back. What's the big picture? Who is this person? What's the author? And books like this will help you to, to do that. So just on your own time, in your own way, you can just take the time. And again, it's a lifelong thing. Don't feel like, oh man, that's a lot of reading. I'll never be able to accomplish that. Take one and spend five years studying it. It, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of starting that process, diving deep. Again, from junior high, I'm 33 now, I was, what, 12, 13, 20 years, and there's still more for me to learn. It's still got stuff for me to unlock. So it takes time, but it's a lot of fun. That's the, you know, that that kind of gets back to those two attitudes of being curious and being humble, that you know, we're never going to arrive at like the maximum understanding because right. there's always so much more to learn. Yeah. But that curiosity is what drives us to say, like, let's ask some more questions of the text we're reading or... Let's even open up some sort of study guide or something and go a little bit deeper. Um, yeah. Because when you're talking about reading the Bible, it's not just a matter of like, how do I efficiently and quickly read this thing so I can move on? No, it's this is like a gold mine. You're digging as deep as you can. And, and each time that you read it, God is going to surface new truth, new, new things for you to, to learn that maybe the first time through you didn't catch. And so all these extra study resources and all the context that you can develop, that just helps. It's just assisting you in going deeper uh, in your, in your, uh, as, a, as a student of the Bible. Yeah. So, um, well, we're ready to take a little bit of time to worship the Lord and just focus our hearts on Him because what we do want to do before we leave is apply uh, some of this to our lives and say, how do we now, even though like we know there's so much to learn, how do we just today and tomorrow, what do we do? Where do we start? And uh, so we'll jump back to those application questions in a minute. But Ryan, I wonder if you could pray for us as we enter our worship time, um, just to for us as students, that mm. we would be able to kind of put on that mentality, curiosity, humility, mm. and, then, and then go forward from there. Yeah. Father, uh, as we just uh, are segueing back into a time of worship, I pray that you would just uh, prepare our hearts uh, to just worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, may that not just be a Sunday morning thing. May that, may that be, you know, an every day, a daily walking with you. And um, pray, Father, that... Um, that that would include diving deep into your word to become a student of it. May we be like David and just fall passionately in love with your word. And may, you know, just Holy Spirit, just be with the people here in our congregation. Because um, without you, you know, we're not, we're not going to be led to the right resources. We're not going to understand what it is that we're reading. And so I just pray that you would, you would bless our congregation to be uh, students of your word, um, that uh, we would be humble and, and not think, oh, yeah, I got that. I know what that's about. But we always keep looking for little nuggets, little secrets, little things that you want to reveal that help us to understand you, to walk closely with you, and then thereby help us to, pr to properly and accurately share the gospel with other people let them know who you are, because it's so ingrained into us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. Uh, Dan, if you could help me out here. 
Everybody needs one of these. They're, what's being passed out here is a tool that will revolutionize your devotional life, okay? So you, don't wanna, you may want to make sure you get one and don't lose it. Can I have a little help over here? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So good morning. So um, someone, my name is Del, by the way, good morning. Um, someone uh, down south um, texted me, our, our family last night, and said, okay, we were, it, was, it was a beautiful, clear night. Um, I went out on the back porch to look at the stars, um, and as I was looking up into the heavens, I fell into the pool. <laughs> All right, so, so here's, here's the thing that I was thinking about this morning. Um, all these great and important questions of life... Um, we've got our hands full to the point where we need so much help that if we don't spend our time looking down with, with what's right in front of us and take a minute to look up, we trip, right? We need a lot of help. Um, this occurred to me for the first time when I, when I started having my kids and I realized they come with no instruction manuals. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like the most sacred, precious thing, there's no manual? Now, now here's, here's the thing that I, that I want us to like, capture in, in our closing moments. The whole matter of personal Bible study is ultimately not about should. This is not a guilt trip. This is not, this is not sort of something where we go, you really ought to read your Bible more, right? 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 <laughs> Think about this for a minute. The God of the universe who made us and who has a beautiful plan and a story for all things including our lives, who has wisdom for life and who actually knows the way, who has come himself, Jesus Christ, to show us personally the way all the way home. Not just the path right in front of us, not just what's up there in the night sky, but the hereafter and all of eternity has left us a guide, a path, wisdom for life. And so ultimately, God's vision for your Bible study is to get to know him, is to interact with him. It's ultimately, it's ultimately to find life and wisdom for the, for the most important things about our life. And that involves, so personally, the scripture. Now, there, there's a text that I think that really brings us together. We've, we've referenced it several times in this series. Um, it's from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And that's the, that, the 16 is where we get the, the part about the, the scriptures being inspired and God breathed, right? Really from his heart uh, to us and therefore profitable. But, but it's interesting the way that text reads because what it actually says to us is that, that the way this works is that it actually teaches us what is true. So it actually lays out in front of us the way forward, the path towards what is truly good. And then, and then it actually shows us what is wrong. So all of us, you know, we get off track. We miss the mark. We get ourselves into messes. We fall in the pool. And the incredible thing about the scripture is that it is it's able to illuminate the nature of those pitfalls and then correct us, the scripture says. It actually has the power to meet us where we're at and bring us back to the right path. And so, if you're like me, a person who needs a lot of help, who's looking for the instruction manual, 
who, who, who needs daily course corrections, God in his wisdom has provided something that has the power to actually meet us on all those points and to lead us home. Now, we don't, we don't, we're getting to know each other, right? But, you, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know about you. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. But uh, I was not always a, a speaker or a pastor. Um, in fact, I grew up in a, in a, in a home that was of faith, um, and I hit some roadblocks when I was about 17 with, you know, loss of a father and, um, you know, just the questions that you're asking in, in life. And I went off to university and I left the faith. And I, and I went pretty long ways down the road making a, a pretty good mess out of things. I mean, getting into things that I thought would bring answers but actually brought more confusion and actually making choices that actually had power that I didn't really comprehend it started to get a grip on me and these kinds of things. And, and my wife and I, in graduate school, we began to make our way, haltingly, slowly back to Christianity, to, to, to the Bible. And we moved out of grad school to, to Florida, and we went to this church, and this was old school, you know? Like, the church that we went to, they really made a big deal out of the Bible. And, and we, were, we were usually sitting kind of in the back, trying to hide a little bit. Like, we were really not sure what our next steps were and whether this was it, you know? But we were, we were hungry, and we, we, we were looking for answers. And this is how old school this church was. The, the pastor would actually start in the morning on Sunday in Genesis. He'd preach for one hour, and he'd put a bookmark in where he stopped. Okay, and so next week you came back, and guess where, you, guess where you opened to? Like, where you left off. And Sunday night, the same way, like, you start in Matthew, and like you just go verse by verse right through it, you know, and you'd stop after an hour, and we'll see you next week. And I remember when we, when we first got in, like, to that church, he was in Galatians, and this is the, this is the text. I'll never forget it. Galatians 5, 6 and 7, this is, this is what it said. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap to the Spirit. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, he's not playing games. You really are going to reap what you sow. Okay, that was, that was the text. And the pastor just started to simply talk about that and just talked about how all of us have freedom in life given by God to make decisions. Each of those decisions actually are like, are, are like a source of energy. They, 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 they give an input and an output to our lives. And as those choices begin to add up one after the another, another, they begin to create a momentum. And over time, you could actually say, my life is going in a certain way. It's going in a certain direction. And what I, what I am now, I have been becoming, and what I will be tomorrow, I have, you know, I, I'm becoming now. And he just said, so here's the fundamental choice. You can continue to live your life by whatever seems right to you, or you can begin to align your life with God's word. You can begin to course correct it and to make those choices on the basis of a wisdom that goes beyond you. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do? Put his bookmark in. End of the week, right? So my wife and I go home and we have this little discussion. Like, what did you think about that guy? What are you saying? You know, it makes sense. Well, what have we been sowing to? in our lives. And so we started talking about some of our decisions and the way we spend our time and our priorities and our, you know, the whole thing. And we're like, 
Well, no wonder our life's a wreck. Like when we put it like that, you know, when like you add it all up, like no wonder. I mean, like no, we have no reasonable expectation to think that there is going to be a different kind of life if we continue on the path that we've been on, right? That's what that text was saying, right? Yeah, that's what it was saying. And there is another way, yes. So I said, what do you want to do? She said, let's stop. Like I said, stop. She said, all of it. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, yeah, good idea. Let's stop. And so two days later, I'm sitting in my living room going, so what do people do when they've stopped doing everything that they do? <laughs> so we call the church. I'm like, so I got this problem. What? Well, we stopped. <laughs> like, they said, you stopped what? You know, so we, you know, and they said, you better come in here. Okay, and so, and so we started having this dialogue, right? And what I learned through that process was that the main, the main verb about being a Christian is not stop. Like the interest of God in your life is not primarily that you stop sinning. That's not his main interest. His main interest is to lead you into the best kind of life, the life that you were designed for, the life that he's taking you into. And so the point is not stopping, right? It's like redirecting and putting all of yourself and your heart and your energy into what's good. And the Bible actually does that. It not only tells you what is wrong, it actually, it actually tells you what is true and what is good and what is planned and what is awesome, see? And so we started to get into this, all right, day by day, and that's how, I mean, newsflash here, this is how you change. There are no shortcuts. There are no, like, you know, there's no magic wand. Like, you literally engage your heart and your mind and your soul in an interactive process with God, right? That's how you change. And so let me show you this, like, how it works. Like, this is any field of endeavor, okay? Um, this is what it looks like, whether you're studying the Bible or any other thing. Can you flip to the next slide? Um, okay, so when we begin to start something, like think, of, think of us 20 years ago, and it's new. We're getting into the Bible. We know we need something. But like it's this big book, and we don't know much of it. When you begin to start reading, the initial steps are kind of confusing. They're hard because you're getting little pieces of data that you have no frame of reference for and are isolated from all the other pieces of data, right? So you're like, wow, what was that about? I'm not sure. And you read the next piece. Okay, maybe I, got, maybe I understood part of that, but not sure. Next piece, you know? And you have to actually persevere in that for, for a time. That's the bottom part of that tube. You see at the bottom as you're going up with the arrows, it's kind of narrow and restricted, and you feel like, man, I want to get out and fly in the wide world, but I'm just like, every time I get to this, I don't feel that good at it. I feel a little incompetent. Like, I'm not sure my way around it. Like, people seem to know a lot more. Like, I'll never get there. Okay, and here's the thing. So important not to quit when you're in the narrow part, right? Because what happens is as you keep adding pieces of, you know, of God's truth into that one piece at a time, what ultimately will happen is you'll start to get to tipping points where the stuff will mix and you'll begin to make connections. Oh, that goes with that. I remember, I remember reading something else about that. Oh, there, and you start, to, you, start to put the, you start to be able to categorize and think, I'm starting to get a bigger picture like of God's wisdom. I'm, I'm being taught. I'm learning, right? Now, I knew a guy named Larry um, early in my Christian life. I was, you know, I'm trying to do this every day, and, like, I, you know, I'm trying to do a little bit of teaching. It was awful, you know, and, like, like, like he's like, well, you know, keep trying. And, and you know, and, 
And I'm like, I'm like thinking, I'm, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And here's Larry. Larry's been at it for 40 years, and he's kind, and he looks a lot like Jesus. And like, Larry walks around, and every time you read a, read a Bible verse, he cries. And I'm like, Larry, we're in Habakkuk. Why are you crying? You know, like, this is 2,000 years old. Like, I don't understand why you're crying. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, like, that reminded me of this passage and this passage over here and then this experience I had with God and he did something for me back 10 years ago that was so awesome and, like, I'm just thinking about that and I just start crying. And I'm like, and I'm like Larry, like, like I want to be Larry, but I don't, I feel so far away, but yet I see that it's possible for an ordinary human being who walks with Jesus to, to enter this kind of way and I'm hungry. I want this, right? And so I go back, you know, next morning, you know, and you're just plowing away because you're in the tunnel. But let me tell you, there is life with God. There is life with God. It's possible for you. It's possible for you. And I, I want to say to you this morning um, that, the t- that the tool in your hand um, can help you, okay, along the way to revolutionize your Bible study. And you're like, Dell, it's a, it's a, it's a three-by-five card. And it's blank. It's blank. And it's kind of cheap. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cheap because, you know, I, I'm cheap. So it's kind of cheap. Yeah, so, so how in the world? Let me encourage you to do something. When you are in the scripture, can we put the application questions? Dan gave us some good stuff here to begin to just ask, like questions of the text. Here's why questions are so important. They take you out of a passive learning mode and they begin to propel you into an active one because you're actually looking for something. Now listen, take your phone out and take a picture of this. You can't put your phone away anywhere else. You can take it out now, okay? Take a picture of this. Record it because this, these are great questions, you know, for our hearts because questions put us into an active learning mode. Now what you're going to do is before you read and ask these questions, you're going to say, God, I'm going out in the wide world. And I'm gonna, I don't even know what I'm going to face, but I know some of it. And I need help. And I need something this morning from your word. Like, I need something to take with me. Like, anything. Just give me, you know, please, you know what's ahead. Please give it to me. And you, as you're reading, you're asking God and you're asking these questions. And you're waiting with your pen to write down a verse that st- stands out or, a, or an application or a thought because guess what writing something down is going to do? You're more likely to remember whatever it is that you were thinking because you put it down, right? We know that from learning theory. So you're going to remember it better. But guess what? Someone said this is a bookmark. This is very small. It's very light. Guess what very small, light things can do? They can accompany you. Like you can stick it in your pocket, you in your purse. You can paste it on the little, like the dash of your, of your car or on your, you can set it up on your office desk. You can pull it out when you're waiting in line or in the waiting room or you're stopped at a stoplight. And you, know, you need something to do with your mind besides scowl at the other drivers, okay? You can pull this out and begin to review. And here's, here's the incredible thing about this. People that... During the times that I practice this or people that practice this say, it is amazing how often the thing that you wrote down on your card pops up in a real-life situation. Like, oh, my word. 
I almost think that God is talking to me because I wrote something down and now like three days later, I needed that. I needed that on the card right here, right? And you start to realize Bible study is actually not a solo thing. The God of the universe wants to teach you, wants to give you his wisdom. And life becomes an adventure when you bring the Bible actually with you, when you actually read it in the morning with expectation for what's happening later and you take it with you, okay? So there's the challenge. Um, take me up on it and see whether, whether, this, whether this works for you. Give it a week or two and begin, begin to, to invite God to transform uh, your life through his word, okay? Let's pray. Um, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as a group of Christians to say that you're the most important thing to us, that we need you. Um, for every part of our life, we actually really need you. And so we take that humble posture where we're saying, Lord, we're not the ones who think we have it all together. We know we need help. Um, and we thank you for your word. I pray that all of us would begin to find ways to move from passive to active engagers of the wisdom that we so desperately need, that we would be taught by you um, and that in so doing, we will ultimately be blessed because we're equipped and we're prepared for everything that is actually good. And may this be the vision and destiny of our lives. In Jesus' name, um, amen.